welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. So, big news in the historical romance world this week. The Bridgerton series has been announced on Netflix, so now you all know when we recorded this <laughs> versus <laughs> when it's coming out. Actually, it came out, uh, the news came out just a little bit ago, but uh, the casting news has been coming out, and let's just say it's exciting. I am so pumped. I am so pumped as well, and I like all the choices, and I'm really excited for the diversity, and I'm just really excited to see it all put together because, like, Julia Quinn's excited about it, and usually when the author's excited about it, it means it's going to be so good. Yeah, I think absolutely. There's going to be issues with it, right? We're going to be frustrated because that's not the way it was in the books, but similar, like, I'm a huge, huge, huge Harry Potter nerd, and I look at the movies as it's fun to see my favorite characters come to life. So I try to remove myself from other media of uh, of something that I love and just say, this is fun to see this happen. I, I That's how I go into it personally, because I know I've already seen that there's news about like, oh, Anthony's not actually going to get with Kate and like my little heart, my little heartbeat a little harder at thinking about that. But okay, that makes me sad. But okay, I know <laughs> I will. I will agree with you in the sense that I love seeing I love the characters and I love it when you can bring the characters to life on a screen and see someone's different interpretation of them. And also you just get to live a little bit longer with those characters, which is one like sad thing about the books. Eventually the books end. And especially with the romance novels, once that book is over, you no longer get into those characters' heads usually. They're kind of gone. You move on to the next character. You get into the next character's head. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the series plays out so we can really see all the characters and live with them just a little bit longer. Yeah, and if you haven't heard the news about the Bridgerton series, I highly recommend you head over to Julia Quinn's Instagram or any of her other social media and probably her website too. But the biggest news of the casting is that uh, Julie Andrews is going to be playing the voice of Lady Whistledown, who is going to be the narrator. And if you haven't read these books, uh, get on it. I highly recommend them. Kelsey? Uh, yes, just read them because they're fabulous and hopefully we'll get to talking about them one day soon. Yeah, we're definitely planning on getting through the recaps of all eight of the original ones before the Netflix series comes out. That's our goal. There isn't a uh, release date yet, but we're gonna we're gonna get these all penciled in. Yes, absolutely. So speaking of series though, I have a question for you this week. Shoot. What is your favorite romance series? Oh, my favorite romance series. Oh man, this is so hard. Um, <laughs> I'm coming uh, at you, Kelsey. You really are. Um, I really like the, oh my gosh, I don't even know which one I'm talking about right now. That's uh, <laughs> hashtag romance reader problems. Because <laughs> serious romance reader problems. that one with the girl and the guy. And I think he was some sort of nobility, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> no. Um, I think right now I really like the Oxburg Prince series by Karen Hawkins. I think that's a really good series. Um, there was another one by Tessa Dare recently that was really good. Stephanie Lawrence has the Kavanaugh series right now. I've been enjoying those a bit. Um, Wilds, uh, Eloisa James's Wilds of Linlow Castle. Is that it? 
Yeah, that's many series, <laughs> many, many series. So but if, if you were on a desert island and you had oh to pick just one series oh to read and reread over and over again, this is serious questions, Kelsey. And you know what? I'm going to might even just like throw us back there. I think it might be the Bridgertons. Ah! <laughs> I think if I had to be stranded on a desert island, I think it might be the Bridgertons because I just like get happy when I think about them. And then when she did the second epilogues about them, I was like, must read. Yeah, good, <laughs> good, good epilogues for sure. Um, now that I've mentioned just a few, what, what are you, what's your favorite? <laughs> so I can definitely pick one favorite. And it's been a while since I've read this series. And I... As we started this podcast, I thought I should reread this series because I was just, I loved it so much and I missed it. And I've definitely read the books at least two, if not three times, all of them. Uh, but my favorite series is the Brothers Sinister series by Courtney Milan. Mm. And I love it. It's definitely like set in the 1880s. So it's it's late in things that I've read. I don't think I've read another suffragette novel except her fourth book, which is mm-hmm. uh, I love dearly, dearly. But all of those books, I just love the characters. The women are all really fierce. They're all so well-developed. They all, I remember all of their names. I remember everything about (laughs) all of their stories, which is rare. Um, And in fact, the second book, Jane's book, really uh, changed me because she was an untraditional heroine, which I hate to say that now because heroines like Jane should be traditional. And really, I think, made me grow as a person. I read that book when I was younger, and I uh, am a much better person for reading those books. And I love them. I love it. I have read some of those, but I will say I haven't dived into the whole thing. I have not read every single book of it, so I might just need to start doing that. Well, there's only four, so it's not that oh, bad. Good. <laughs> there's I think two. Maybe I read one. There's two novellas, which I don't think are quite as strong as the actual four of the series. But anyhow, I think we should talk about the book we read today. I think we should too, because we've only been talking it up for three episodes. Oh my gosh, I know. We've finally (laughs) arrived. (laughs) So today we are talking about I Kissed an Earl by Julie Ann Long. Our main characters today are Violet Redman and Captain Asher Flint, the Earl of Ardmay. I would say it Ardmay too. I was wondering how you were going to say it. It's one of those, again, you look at it and you're like, is it that way? I don't know if it's that way. But sometimes I just pronounce things in my head and then I'll talk with my friends about them and they'll be like, oh, and they'll have a completely different pronunciation. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's what I was calling uh-huh, them the yep, whole time. Yep, yep. My favorite is reading the S- Scottish ones because my friend is really like loves like Scottish culture and so she'll look up the Gaelic pronunciations of everything (laughs) so she can actually pronounce them correctly and I'm like girl that is a level of dedication I don't have. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely impressive. Uh, Coming back to my author facts this week, in all of Julianne Long's biographies, it says she was almost a rock star. She had some fringe. She was in a band. Um, And this book is called I Kissed an Earl, which is, I don't know, a punny name, which is obviously playing off of Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl. And then I was wondering, like, was that actually true? So I did look it up. And this book did come out two years after Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl. So I think it's pretty 
confident to say that this is a pun off of that, which punny names are a big thing in this genre. There's like what comes to mind right away for me are the rhymes with love books. There's one. Oh, called those the, are great. Yeah. The girl ran away <laughs> with the rake or there's a new series that I just read that I also really liked the keeping up with the Cavendishes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. for example, one of those books is called Lady Bridget's Diary. So I will say that as we were thinking up names for this podcast and we wanted to come up with something a little bit fun, a little bit funny, it made it really hard because most of the time it just sounded like a romance novel title. Um, so yeah, we didn't want to be completely confused with the books. We're like, we're paying homage to, but we're not actually a romance novel. Yeah. So uh, I think we got there in the end. I'm happy. Yes, I am too. I like it as well. So Kelsey, what do you remember about this book? Obviously, we've kind of talked it up, but do you remember anything particular? I remembered um, there was like crazy storm and then they had some crazy sex after the storm. And I remember Asher being a like very masculine hero, like very alpha. And yeah, and then I kind of remember Violet learning to be a bit of a badass. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. She kind of already had that streak, but it was definitely like she did go through her own self-discovery, which is kind of fun. Yeah. I, so I remembered sexy ship stuff is what I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Violet just in general being capricious and just awesome. Um, I think this was the book that really solidified the genre for me. And like, I've never forgotten Violet. I've never forgotten her. I've never forgotten this book. After reading hundreds of others, it's one that definitely left its mark. So. It did. And now we can talk a bit more about it. So I think it's important to note that so much of this book and the character development and the plot takes place through the characters' conversations, more so than the other three we've, we've read by Julianne Long. So just a behind-the-scenes note here that we might be availing ourselves to a couple more quotes than we've used in the past because I fear that if we don't do that, we might not be able to truly do this book justice. So like... As I was writing out the plot points, I didn't feel like any of the delicious tension came through, which is a shame. So we've got a couple extra quotes in here. And I will also say this is a really fun read. So depending on you as a reader, you might have more fun to read this book first and then relive it through us. Like, I don't want to dissuade you all from listening, but like... Anyhow, it is a fun read. And so even if you listen to the podcast and you're like, I don't know if that really sounded that fun, just give it a go because you'll really, really enjoy it. It's really, it's fun. It's not quite as crazy as some of the other ones. And it's just really lovely and always. (laughs) And I, so I was trying to write a one sentence synopsis and I really had a very hard time, but I settled on Violet meets her match. And that was it. (laughs) So I couldn't really do anything else without spoiling it. And the plot is pretty understandable. This isn't like a crazy museum heist. So Kelsey, take it away. All right. So we are going to begin at a ball, which I think is a lovely place to start a romance novel. Mm -hmm. So Violet Redmond is at a ball. And at this ball, we have the newly minted Earl of Ardmay, Captain Asher Flint. Violet is currently bored and gossiping with some of the people she knows. 
And suddenly, someone in the group mentions that the Earl's companion is a Lord LaVey. What? What, 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 what? (laughs) So as some of you may or may not remember, they had a gypsy meeting when we were with Miles and Cynthia. And in that meeting, the young gypsy suddenly yelled LaVey when Violet was having her fortune read. So... Violet's ears are immediately like, LaVey, what? She's like full sonar mode, like ready to see who this is. And while there, the Earl is talking and he feels like he belongs everywhere and nowhere. That's kind of his description in life. He feels at home on a ship, but he wasn't born to this. He's a new Earl in England, even though he grew up in America. So he's kind of just not really fully enjoying himself. And Flint was given the title because he saved the king's mistress's favorite cousin from footpads. So the king gave him a title, but he has withheld any fortune along with the title until he captures the pirate Lachette. Yeah, and something important to note, too, is that we're going to say a lot of names for him. He's Captain Asher Flint. So sometimes they call him Captain Flint. Sometimes they call him Flint. Sometimes they call him the Earl of Ardmay. And sometimes they call him Asher later. So bear with us. Any of those words just refer to him. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Flint really is pursuing Lachat because Lachat sank the Steadfast, which was captained by Flint's mentor, Morehart. Captain Morehart. And Flint was devastated at the news of Morehart's death because once the Steadfast was sunk, they had stuck the captain and all the crew out on boats and sent them out to sea to be rescued. And unfortunately, Captain Morehart didn't make it. So he is like really gung-ho. He doesn't even want to be at this ball. He's like ready to jump into the sea and catch this pirate because also too, now he's going to catch him and get money from it. Yeah, and he needs that money to start his new life. He tells us more about that later. Yes. So LaVey overhears Violet and her friends gossiping, and he mentions to Flint that he should smile as the one in blue calls him a savage. Hmm, Violet. Violet, Violet, Violet. I know. She's bored, though. She just says things. And there's this really great line in the book, and it says, And surely it has significance that someone named LaVey should appear in a ballroom just as she was about to expire from boredom. I love that she also is not necessarily immediately like, Oh my God, LaVey, it's the man of my dreams. It's like, this has some significance. Yes, it's more just a significance thing versus a like, Oh my God, there's the love of my life. So Violet makes her way over to LaVey and Flint. And Flint already dislikes her because she just called him a savage. And he's like, well, this girl is terrible. So Violet ends up waltzing with Flint instead of LaVey because her terrible friend kind of pushed her to the side. Sparks are flying while they're dancing. Oh, there's a lot of tension. From the moment. From the moment they lock eyes. <laughs> yeah, they lock eyes and he's like, grr. And she's like, why is he looking at me like that? Shouldn't he just be fawning over me like everybody else? And so the fact that the sparks fly and there's like this tension and they kind of immediately don't see eye to eye is really interesting for both of them. So during their dance, he freezes and he looks over and he sees someone who looks like Mr. Hardesy. And he immediately stops and stares and looks over and he asks Violet who that man is. And she looks over and sees that it's her brother, Jonathan. And Flint says he could be Mr. Hardesy's twin. 
and she doesn't quite know who Mr. Hardesty is, but... But she finds out. She next dances with LaVey and does a little sleuthing of her own. So she asks LaVey about Mr. Hardesty, and she learns that... Mr. Hardesty has excellent manners. He's a merchant. He is seen everywhere. Oh, and the Earl believes that Mr. Hardesty is Le Chat. <laughs> and at this, the line is, quote, Violet was thrilled into silence. <laughs> yes. And so she pries a little bit more and she's like, well, is Le Chat here? And he's like, ah, oh, you've not to fear, Miss Redmond. The Olivia isn't docked here alongside our ship. Ah, so at that moment, Violet is like, ding, 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 ding. I know where Lion is. He is Le Chat, and they're looking for him. <laughs> because it's already been said that Jonathan and Lion look a lot alike in the other books. So she is putting all these facts together and has come to this conclusion. Yes. So she runs over to her brother as soon as her dance with LaVey is over, and tells him that she met LaVey, who the gypsy talked about, and that he says that they're looking for a pirate named Lachat who looks just like a Mr. Hardesty who looks just like Jonathan. And Jonathan's on board for a minute, but then he's like, no, there, there, Violet. You're just trying really hard to find Lion, and you're making things up. And it should be said, and maybe this is also known, but just in case anybody doesn't know, Lachat is the cat in French, so Lion is a cat. Anyhow. She does point that out in the book actually verbatim. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Violet, you know, overhears Flint and LaVey talking about their ship. It's called the Fortuna. The Fortuna? Fortuna? I don't know. Fortuna? Fortuna? Good enough. It's a Spanish name. The Fortuna. And based off some information she overheard about an unhappy crew member, Violet packs a bag, sends a note to her parents saying she's going to a house party, and uses this unhappy crew member to bribe her way onto this ship. So she's on the ship. She made it. She did it. She's known for rash decisions. And the next morning, a sailor tells the captain that he heard slash saw a woman on board last night and that this unhappy crew person has not shown up for duties. So Flint goes to investigate. And he goes to find her in the distinguished guest cabin, (laughs) which... Is just hilarious. And for reasons in the book that are just a play that goes throughout the whole thing, Violet insists that she's in a vole hole. And then Captain Flint starts to refer to it as such during their trips together. Anyway, side note. Yeah. So (laughs) he finds Violet in the vole hole and he takes her to his cabin to have a discussion. And they have a volley. This is an excellent, excellent chapter. I highly recommend it. But they volley back and forth. It's delightful. Um, They're both like at each other and they're wit for wit, matched for match. And finally, he's he's like, why are you here? Why are you here? Is this a lark for you? Who are you trying to marry, LaVey or me? And she says, it's (laughs) not a lark. And she reveals that she thinks Lion is Hardesty. And she lays all her cards out on the table, which at that point in time is basically a bluff because she's thinking on her feet as fast as she can. But Mm -hmm. she decides that uh, what if they use her as bait to lure Lion out into the open? Then he can try to catch him, but she's going to warn Lion also that Flint is trying to catch him. I just love this because from the get-go, their first like real conversation, even when they're angry, they are freaking having an honest conversation with each other. Yeah, at this point in time, 
they pretty much know everything that is necessary to the other person. Like there's no, there's nothing hidden. They still learn more about each other as they go, but at this point in time, there is nothing weird going on that they can't understand. So. No, but through this conversation with the Earl, Violet suddenly has a realization because he's accusing her of just being a spoiled little brat who doesn't know what she's doing and is just out for a lark. And she's like, no, I'm here for a reason. And this is just a really wonderful line that kind of sums up Violet at this stage. This is when she had her epiphany. She was the one who had always been treated like a pet, coddled, indulged, scolded, occasionally mildly punished, but kept always, always on a rarefied, invisible, silken tether, reeled in by her brothers or parents, no matter what she did or where she went, no matter how absurd or reckless. No one particularly needed her. And she was, of course, so much more equal to every single blood in London, but this had left her entirely unprepared for the likes of the Earl of Ardmay. Yeah, I think that's an important thing. She's kind of, we're going to see Violet transform throughout this book, and she's kind of coming into her own at this moment, and it's really great. So at this point, Violet realizes that through their conversation, the Earl of Ardmay has cornered her into reasoning with him. But she really struggles with the fact that she's out of her comfort zone and can't play games with him. So she reflexively challenges him to chess for the right to sleep in his cabin rather than the vole hole. Because they're out at sea, they are moving. She is with them at least for a period of time, but the vole hole smells not so great. And so she wants an upgrade. Yes, and he agrees to play chess for his cabin, but he also says that if he wins, she owes him five pounds to cover her board and she will be dropped at the docks of the next port to find her own way home. If... She, however, does prevail. She'll get to sleep in his cabin for one night and he will still drop her off at the port, but he will arrange her passage home. But either way, she has to go home. Yes. And he also honestly tells her before any of that, he like sighs and says, I excel at chess. (laughs) So that, you know, again, honesty here. But um, he has this other quote during this as he's kind of building up to this chess game. And he says to her, you have taken for granted your comfort and privilege and safety. Even now you think I'll see to your comfort. That's a man will always look out for you even when you behave in unconscionably reckless ways. And I don't like it. Even now, even now, you probably don't believe I'll simply abandon you to fate. I invite you to test me. So he's not messing around. She has to kind of really own up here. (laughs) So they play chess. And this is where I feel that Violet's boredom is understood. Because as they're playing the game, he finally comes to the realization that she was better than him. Yes. And he realizes he's playing her. He's like, I'm really good. It's an interesting game. Okay, we're doing good. We're doing good. And then all of a sudden he realizes she's two moves away from winning. (laughs) And he's like, oh my gosh, like I can't even stop it. Like she's going to win. And then he looks up and realizes that she's fallen asleep. Yep. (laughs) She had stayed up all night previously in the smelly vole hole and now she has fallen asleep. But I also think this too just highlights her boredom because she's playing chess, like against someone who also is very good at chess. And she literally could just give into her tiredness and fall asleep because it 
he she was winning and it wasn't even taking all of her energy yeah and it's just that her her mind doesn't have enough enough to do and I uh, relate to that but we'll get into that later yes so he deposits her in the captain's bed and he leaves and goes to the vole hole uh, the next day the next day they argue about her being on the ship again and they argue about lion and they're just arguing about everything and they are talking honestly with each other but he proposes a game this time just to prove her naivety about ships and the world because she's never gone anywhere so he challenges her to throw a dart at the map on the wall in his cabin and tell him two salient details about the place and if she gets it correct then she can sleep in his quarters again in a couple of days so not immediately but like she gets to sleep there again and this is the best part because she's like oh my gosh what am I gonna do I'm not I don't know how to throw a dart I've never done that before like I don't even like she's looking at all the countries she's like oh my god there's so many countries I'm gonna screw this one up so badly and then all of a sudden out of the corner of her eye she sees la cow <laughs> which is where her brother Miles went and wrote a whole book about. So she's like, all right, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Redmonds are known to have good aim. Oh, and by the way, she's supposed to do this with her eyes closed. So she's never thrown a dart before, and she has to do it with her eyes closed. So she's like, Jesus, take the wheel. I can do this. And actually hits it. Like, hits Lacau right there. And then, of course, she plays real coy. She's like, um... How would you say that? Like, he's like, look how. And she's like, okay, cool. Don't they have these like butterflies? And um, I think also too, like the women, they just don't wear tops ever. And he laughs so hard when he finds out that she's Miles's sister. Because he's like, how do you know so much about this place? She's like, so Miles Redman, he's like, oh my God, why didn't I think of that? It's funny, though, because she totally plays with him with the fact about the bare-chested ladies, and he knows that, but she just, like, and she knows it's probably not the best move, but she can't help herself. And this is the best thing about Violet. She just can't help herself in these situations. She can't. When she, when the door is, like, even a little bit cracked, she pushes through. So... They've come to a stalemate of sorts at this point. Flint has decided that he will parade her around at their next stop and see if he can lure Hardesty. And she will get to sleep in his cabin uh, in a couple of days as promised. And I want to share a passage here that's from Flint's perspective because a lot of the time in these books, I feel like the woman falls very hard and we don't get a lot of development from the man, especially in the beginning. And I think in this book, we get a lot of that. Um, So from his perspective... He's thinking, the first word, after beautiful, and then nuisance, that was, that sprang to mind when he thought about Miss Redmond was determination. He thought of the dark strand of hair fluttering as she breathed, asleep from exhaustion, of a surprisingly lethal aim, and a seat of the pants resourcefulness, and an arrogance that rivaled his own, and a sense of entitlement that made one want to either conquer or throttle her, and the feel of her firm thighs beneath his arm as he carried her slumped over his shoulder to his bed, of the love and the passion that had sent her after her brother, and the bands of muscles across his stomach tightened. Anyhow, I just think he's also human. Yes, I think so too. Oh, okay. Moving on. 
So before they arrive, Violet finally gets a chance to go on deck for the first time. And that for her is a profound realization. She suddenly sees herself in the open ocean and realizes like, this is what I've been missing in my life. Like she just feels elated at the idea of being out in the world and being a part of. And she just really starts to understand herself a little bit better and realize that there was something missing. She didn't realize there was at this point. She knew that she was bored, but saw life mapped out for her. And now that she has this chance to see the open sea and feel the water underneath her, she's like, oh my gosh, like this is what I've been missing. Definitely. And in two days, in their next port, they're going to dine with a Comte. Is that how you say that? Oh, God. We're doing great this episode. Um, Comte? Comptes? Comte? Comte? I don't know. Okay. I don't speak French. And Hardesty is invited. Anyone is welcome to send us an email with how we're supposed to actually pronounce that. So when they dock, they head to their destination, and we find out pretty quickly that their hostess is a former lover of Flint's. And this is the first time, actually not the first time, this is about the third time that I laughed out loud reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the Comtesse is gushing over Flint and gushing over LeVay. And then she kind of looks over at Violet and she's like, oh, who's this creature here? And Violet jumps up and she's all ready to tell this. She's like, I'm the Earl's lover. But gets cut off before the lover actually comes out, which is hilarious because she just like this woman just annoys her to pieces and she can't help herself but just be like, I would like to put her in her place. It's great. <laughs> she doesn't now, but she does later. She does later. Um, but anyway, so they get ready for the dinner and the dancing and the ball. And so Violet, you know, she's really excited because Hardesty's supposed to be there and she's 100% convinced it's Lion. And so she comes down and she's ready to look through the doors and see him, but she doesn't. And then all of a sudden there's this like small sticky child like tugging on her skirts being like, hey lady, this is for you. And he gives her a note and she's looking at it and trying to figure out what it is. It's like a picture message. And she's like, oh, the kid drew me some things. And then all of a sudden she realizes that this is a coded message from Lion. And she is like quickly deciphering it, trying to figure out what she's going to do with it. And then she stuffs it in her bodice, like because she realizes that Flint is looking at her and she's like, I am not doing anything right now. <laughs> um, because even though they've had this honest conversation, she is well aware that he is determined to find her brother. And so she quickly like fends Flint off, runs upstairs. There's a second message in her bedroom. And so she's figuring out like, He's left her this message saying, think Mercury Club, which is her father's investment group. He says, five, only two left. And then he says, breast. And then he, of course, says, forgive me. And she's very confused. She's trying to put it all together, but she has to go back downstairs. So at dinner, Violet also shines again because the Comtesse is getting drunk and being very... um, Fawny, but also being very snarky when it comes to the Earl and is kind of getting a little too brazen and a little too, like, just rude, even though she's trying to get his attention. Just rude. And she kind of insults Flint's parentage and, like, really pushes him, knowing it's going to bother him. And Violet notices this. So then she straight up, like, just insults the woman purely in, like, the most nice way possible. 
Oh, and yeah. then it's great because the Countess in French calls her a rude whore and Violet tells her that isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? <laughs> and the Countess loses her damn mind. And Violet just like lovelyly walks out the door to the balcony and she's like tra la la la. Violet is great at exits. She really is. <laughs> and Flint comes out after her and they have this wonderful genuine conversation on the balcony where they're learning about each other and they're kind of discussing more about her brother and like what is happening yeah and they talk about how Hardesty didn't show up and yeah they have such an honest conversation and in fact Violet even talks about how sometimes she thinks that Olivia Eversee is actually an excuse that all the Redmonds use for Lion's disappearance, but maybe it's not Olivia. And she also mentions, again, that Olivia is into the anti-slavery movement. And the thing about Flint is he has been watching her very closely, and he asks her what the child gave her. And he's like, these people don't have children, so I know it wasn't their child. Like, what did he give you? I saw him give you something. And she's like, why would you think he gave me something? He's like, he's like, was it from your brother? And she's like, why would you think that? He's like, because your face was pure joy. Yeah. And I just love that he could see her across the room, and he's like, you just lit up from the inside. Like, pure joy and so I know it must have been something from your brother he's like is your brother hard to see she's like I'm 100% convinced now you could not convince me otherwise and unfortunately Flint who hasn't 100% believed her about her brother was kind of humoring her he's now convinced it is her brother as well and he's angrily convinced he he like doesn't want to believe it because he doesn't because it complicates things but he also is like he can't deny the facts at this point and one of the notes that Lion had given her was the word breast. And so from that and some other clues, they deduce that he's sailing to breast. So based on that, everyone gets back on the ship and we're on to breast. And we're on to breast. And so, which is in France, uh, by the <laughs> way. And so then Captain Flint tells Violet that she's no longer allowed to be a layabout on the ship and that she needs to go to work and she's off to get a job as the cook's mate, because that's the job that she convinced someone to leave. And this is great, though, because he gave her a job because he felt that she wanted to be useful. And she realizes that that was his aim by giving her this job. She's not thrilled about having a job, but she realizes that Flint giving her the job is a sign from him that he understands her more than anyone else has. Also, we get to meet Hercules, who's like my favorite person. Yeah, Hercules is the cook, and he's Greek, and he's so cute, and he's so fun to read. But anyhow, we could probably, like, where's Hercules' book? <laughs> I know, right? I, well, he's already married. That's why he doesn't have a book. I know. <laughs> but when she first starts out with Hercules, she's peeling potatoes, and the Earl comes in mid-peeling lesson, because Violet's never peeled a potato in her life, and takes over, and they have, a, a like, a very steamy tension field teaching you how to hold the bat, you know, coming around from the back, and, like, except it's a peeling of potato moment um mm -hmm. which is really really cute and and yeah like you said violet really is she's a perfectionist and she loves to feel needed and so she very quickly gets really good at this and pretty much for the rest of the book enjoys her time as cook's mate 
Yeah, she goes there every day and that's what she does. And afterwards that night, they have a lovely chat on deck after dinner and tension is so high. Innuendo is thrown, but they also just talk a little bit more honesty. He talks about his financial situation that even though he's now an Earl, like that doesn't come with a bunch of money and that he is very financially dependent upon catching Lachat and like that's where his motives are coming from and so she kind of she gets it she's like well we're at odds but may the best man win like I understand that you're gonna do what you can to catch him and I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen and she uses the last bit of information that she has from Lyon's picture messages to barter some additional knights in captain's quarters versus the volhole. So yes. he allows that, but is again like a couple of days before before she gets to actually make good on those knights in the in his cabin. So of course, he forgets air quotes that it's her night in his cabin and he comes into his cabin when she's already there. She'd knocked on the door, but he was not in his cabin, so she just snuck in and got herself in bed. Yes. And she sneakily is watching him undress. And then she has one of those moments where she says her thoughts aloud on accident. And she's like, he's a V. And then he turns around. He's like, what did you just say? Yeah. And then a V steamy scene transpires. Yes. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's a, oh gosh, it's a beautiful, very tension filled, great scene where at the end, finally decides to kiss her because he says to prove to himself that she was just a woman like any other. All he had to do was kiss her. Oh God, it was a mistake. He tried and failed to detect the difference between this and every other kiss he'd ever taken. He was rattled. So that's really where they are at this point. Like they've kind of been sneaking around it for a few days. He finally kisses her and like it is just as like steamy sparks flying as you would expect it to be at this point. And they break apart because no, he's like all of a sudden realizes he's kissing her and then he walks out of the room. He's like, oh God, I can't do this anymore. And Violet's like, wait, what? I don't understand. So the next morning, Violet is up early and sees the Earl, and he pulls her into an alcove, and they get hot and heavy. There's a lot of making out. There's a lot of hands up the skirt. There's boob touching. There's all of this. It is throw you up against the wall, and Violet is, like, all for it. And then she's like, oh, my gosh, wait. Like, no, no, no. This has to wait, wait, wait. And he tells her that he wants her, but she's got to make up her mind. So they can't keep their hands off each other, but at this point... Flint points out that their objectives are opposite. And he says he is going to catch Lashat and she wants to save him. So like if they're going to do this thing, like she needs to know that their objectives aren't the same. And Mm. she just backs away and says he can go to the devil. And that's the last they see each other for a few days. <laughs> she has not been hiding in the kitchens all this time. Not at all. No, nope, nope. not at all was she hiding. 
So when they get to Brest, the Olivia is docked, and so some of the crew go to see if Hardesty is there, while the Earl and Violet go to visit a Mr. Musgrove to find out a little bit more about the sunken ships, and he informs them that Le Chat just sunk the Cariad, which was some of the information that they Violet had. That's why they were coming to Brest, was to try to maybe stop him from sinking Le Cariad. So Violet's information so far is right. But Mr. Musgrove is a bit dodgy, answering all their questions about his business pursuits. So they leave that meeting kind of not sure. And Flint thinks that Violet is withholding things from him due to her line of questioning in Mr. Musgrove's. And he's upset when they leave and they have a very tension-filled ride in the cab where he really expresses how angry he is and how much he wants her and she is just like I don't want you he tests her and she passes the test so they finally after that arrive to join LaVey at a bar and at the bar LaVey talks about how they hadn't seen Hardesty he wasn't on the boat but um, they invited him to dinner with uh, Captain Flint and his doxy Violet Redmond because of course she offered to be used as bait and so that's what LaVey did and as they're talking you know the barmaid comes over and says what does she like they're like oh she's like my name is Polly um, my grandpa Ned he makes the best beer in France and then Violet's in her head she's like these aren't really French names but she's not quite putting two and two together and then okay and Zoe, in her head, was like, is this a Julianne Long thing where, like, every barmaid is named Polly and we just didn't notice it? <laughs> Anyhow, um, No, that's saying. not what's happening. It's not a Julianne Long thing. It is, um, it's basically, it's a throwback to Penny Real Green, where the pig and thistle's owner is Ned and his daughter Polly is the barmaid. And Violet realized that just as Polly spills beer all over her and Violet is like aghast she's like oh my god what's happening and Polly's like oh no I'm so sorry and she takes her to the side and starts asking her lightning questions she's like are you in danger are you in trouble are you really like Captain Flint's whore and Violet's (laughs) like oh my god you work with Lion like tell me how he is like no I'm fine like everything's grand like can you please tell me, like, why can't I see my brother? Like, what is he doing? And, of course, the lady doesn't. She sends her back to the table. And when she gets back to the table, Flint and LaVey are talking with the captain of the recently sunk ship, the Caridad. And he is talking to them about what happened. And Flint's trying to get a little bit more information about who pays him, like what's it all about. And he says he was employed by the Drejek group. And Drejek means triangle in German. And he's also very evasive about the cargo he has or what he has shipped. And so they're starting to put together that triangle, triangle trade, slavery. So then the captain leaves and Flint looks over at Violet and says, "Um, your brother's not worried about you being my doxy anymore, is he? And she's like, (laughs) what do you mean? And he's like, what did she tell you? Because he realized he saw her face again and he's just like, your face lit up. You're happy. Like you were happy for a second. So it must have been news from your brother. And so Violet's like, yeah, no, he's not worried about that anymore. So... (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, that avenue is taken, so they head to the next place where a ship 
in the Derejet group is supposed to be, which is La Rochelle. So they're off on the boat again. Yep, they're out to sea. And may I just say, storms are brewing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sexual as well as actual. Yep. So they're, they stay away from each other for the first couple of days at sea, but it's misty and the storm is starting to, to happen. And Hercules tells Violet that Flint was, quote, spreading tension like a contagion among the crew. And it's not just because he's got all this un, you know, released sexual tension with Violet, but <laughs> food and money are dwindling. So finding Lachat and bringing him to justice is ever more important. Yes, that is a really real concern for everyone on the boat. So after a few days at sea, a storm, like even Violet goes out on the ship and she's out on the deck and she's like, there's a storm coming. She's like, I'm a country girl. I know when a storm's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And so Asher sends her below and she's a little like, why do I need to go below? I've seen a storm before. He's like, get in the cabin. And so she goes reluctantly and she's like, whatever, I'll just read it through it. It's going to be fine. And then she gets to understand what a storm at sea really is. She is tossed around her cabin like a rag doll. And as that's happening, she's suddenly like, oh my gosh, all these guys are on the deck. Like, how are they dealing with this? Oh my God, like, Flint, what's happening with him? Like, is he okay? And she suddenly finds herself up on the deck trying to find him. That was not a good plan. Nope, nope, definitely not. <laughs> Terrible plan. So Flint sees her just as a wave, like, tries to pull her over the ship. And she's yelling and he grabs her. He hands LaVey the wheel and he takes her down to the cabin where he is, like, furious at her for disobeying him. And she's like, do you think so little of me that you couldn't listen to me? And he's undressing her. And she's very confused as to why. She's still trying to be very private. And he's like, take off your dress. And it's just because she's in wet clothes and there's a storm and he's trying to get her dry. And she's like, what do you mean? I have to take all my clothes off. And he, she literally, she's like kind of getting into it. She's like, oh, sexy anger, sexy undress. Like, okay, if that's what you want. Like, and then he literally throws a blanket over her and rubs her dry like a dog. Meanwhile, the storm settles. Yes, thank God. <laughs> so after he's rubbed her off and he's started to do the same to himself because he needs to get out of his wet clothes, there is so much tension and he's angry and she's upset and also a little aroused because he's touched her while she was undressed. And he looks at her and he's like, where do you want me to touch you? And she is hot and bothered and angry and aroused and humbled and chastised, but she can't resist. And so we have encounter number one. It's all hand stuff. Yeah, it's all hand uh, stuff. <laughs> all hand stuff and all him. But it's very sweet because obviously we've had this tension building all this time. And obviously Violet is virginal. And so he brings her to her peak and says, I've got you. And at this moment, she understands how naive it was to toy with him and to flirt because she finally has some perspective on why people are so crazy for this this thing. Yes, and so she tries to take it further. She tries to get him out of his pants. But before he lets her, he's like, I need to know why you disobeyed me. And by now, the storm has abated. This is important to say because it's not like he has other business he should really be attending to or the, no, sea, not the ship. All. Yeah, or the <laughs> ship is like being tossed in the waves. 
we actually know as a reader, first it calms and then it has abated. Yes. And so this is not happening while the ship is being tossed around. (laughs) But yeah, so she admits that she couldn't stop herself. She had to know he was safe. And he is very surprised by that. But he realizes that there's just so much tension between them and there is so much feelings that's starting to happen between them and they don't have a lot of control over it but they do know that they have separated objectives and so he's like we have to end this and she understands because she is trying to save her brother while he has a separate goal and so they break apart he goes back to do captainy things above the ship you know like because a <laughs> oh, storm gosh. just happened yes and then she goes back to her cabin and they kind of keep their distance until they reach the port. Yep, and in La Rochelle, they visit uh, Mr. Littlemont, who runs the Triangle Group. And during their conversation, Violet takes her shot and implies that Flint's beloved and besunken Captain Moorhart was an investor in the group, not just an unknowing captain. And Mr. Littlemont affirms. So now we know that Moorhart wasn't just an unknowing player no so he was very active in this and so that's a bit of a blow to flint because his mentor and you know his hero in some ways isn't a perfect human and so he's in his whole quest to get lachat wasn't just money driven but it also was justice driven and it becomes apparent that the investment group is definitely moving large cargo, which is a term for slaves. And Violet realizes that Lion is taking this group down for Olivia. And she's elated because Lion does have a reason in her eyes. Yes, he wasn't just a rich boy on a lark. Like he is not just playing pirate. He's doing it for a reason, which for her vindicates what it is he is doing. And so Flint is still livid. He... His hero has been implicated and the chance of the life he dreamed has kind of been taken from him because this is getting more complicated and he's frustrated. And Violet is silently hoping and begging that he admit that Lion isn't bad, but Flint insists that he shouldn't be a vigilante. And in her grief at his kind of refusal to budge, she lashes out hurtfully and childishly. So she has kind of a backward slide. And he responds maturely and honestly, and they're both unhappy. Yep. But they need to continue their chase. And so they are on the ship again, and they're sailing to the next port. And a couple days out, they're kind of caught in this fog. Everyone's thinking it. I'm saying it. Pirates. (laughs) Sorry, that's a line from Pirates of the Caribbean that uh, I always laugh at. But yes, no, that's exactly what's about to happen. Um, Violet's in the kitchen, and all of a sudden they hear a commotion above them, and pirates have come up the sides of the ship in the fog, and they are under attack. And Hercules, he's ready to go. (laughs) He tells her gleefully, pirates! Pirates! (laughs) So he runs above the deck with a scimitar and Violet knows she needs to be like away, but she needs to know what's happening with Flint. She knows she needs to stay down. She knows after the storm, she's been told to stay below, like she should not go up there, but she just can't help herself. And she's like, maybe I can be, if it is Lion who's attacking us, like I can help. Yep. So she grabs a meat cleaver and runs up to the deck. But luckily for her, a gun is kicked in her direction and she grabs it and immediately is like, oh shit, 
This is nuts and ducks. Oh yeah, she's like, oh, this is an actual real battle. And it's a really thrilling battle scene. Like there is like Flint, you know, saves some guy from being stabbed in the back and then LaVey saves him from being stabbed in the back. And then Hercules starts to get overwhelmed, but Flint is there right when he needs to be. And they're dispatching pirates like crazy. And all of a sudden, a pirate calling himself Lachat corners Flint and has him at gunpoint. And Flint is like, no, I'm not surrendering to you. And so while this pirate is calling himself Lachat, he's speaking with a French accent and he's not poised, obviously not lion. For sure not lion and for sure not any of the things that Lachat is known to be. So everybody knows this is not Lachat, even though he is just pretending to be. So regardless of who he is, Violet is filled with rage at seeing Flint held at gunpoint. And the pirate gives Flint until the count of five to surrender. And Violet even thinks to herself, this is not a kind of guy who's going to be honorable and pull the trigger on five. And so she rallies. This is a great passage. Like, my, I am giddy at this point. No, it is so good. And it's so heroic. And like you get the in-between because he's counting and Violet's like, oh my God, I'm going to lose him. What am I going to do? But she's holding this gun. And like, as she's thinking, she's like, oh my God, he's not going to wait till five. He's going to pull the trigger. She stands. She Four. relies on her Redmond aim. And she, three. boom. Right on three. And she shoots that captain right in the heart with that fantastic Redmond aim. And immediately... Mm-hmm. Everybody pivots to see who shot him. Yes, because everyone, like even Flint looked down and was like, "Uh, was it me? me?" (laughs) So everyone pivots when they realize the captain's been shot and he falls and he's dead. And everyone looks over at her and all she says, I apologize for disobeying orders, sir. And she goes down the ladder. (laughs) It's so good. Uh, Oh, and it's really great. And so then Flint keeps it. Yeah, and it stays good because next flint actually takes care of business yes he doesn't just run after her and leave his crew to figure out the whole pirate thing he actually does what captains do and he like you know directs them into what they should be doing and makes decisions you know he sends someone to check on violet and to make sure she's like okay and then you know he does his captainy things but this is important because while he's doing these captainy things, they find one of the young pirates who came to, you know, attack them used to actually be on the real Lichat ship. And he has some information about where they're going next. And so Flint, who was kind of not sure where they were going next, now has a destination. But he wants to keep the boy a secret from Violet. So after he gets everybody cleaned up, he makes sure, you know, no one has died of his crew and all the pirates are taken care of, he goes to Violet and he sits down on his bed, which is where she's at. She's in his cabin and he sits down with her and she's quiet and kind of pensive and seems stressed. And he remembers how much it affected him the first time he killed a man. And Violet says, you know, I killed a man. And he says, yes. And she says, where is he now? And he says, shark food. And she says, ah. And really, they have this wonderful exchange where, you know, he's worried about Violet and how she's taking this. And she just says, I could not have borne it 
if he had killed you. And she would do it again happily a dozen more times. So it's just a really beautiful, wonderful thing where Violet's kind of courage and just person emerges. Yes, she could not have borne it. They are wonderful. And they're together. so honest. And I just love it so much. It's it's so very good. And after all of this tension and energy, they give into their desires and have encounter number two. Yes, and it is um, wonderful. You know, virginal Violet finally gives it up. But that's okay, because then they spend two lovely days at sea. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say she finally gives it up. I would say she happily gives it up. I would agree with that. She wants it because she's like, I've already like left my heart out there for you. Like, we have to do this now. So they spend two pleasurable days at sea. But when they dock, Violet knows something is up. Uh, As encounter number three is one whole sentence long. But they do talk about it, so I'm counting it on my counter. (laughs) They do. They also imply, like, that there was more encounters, but, like... Two pleasurable days at sea. Yeah, so I I like to say it's three plus. (laughs) All right, fair enough. I'll say four plus. (laughs) But as they are leaving the boat, she sees the boy. And may the best player win, Flint says sadly, because Violet knows something's up. Where does this boy come from? She knows the crew by now and he was going to leave her on the ship at this point but she says this isn't fair and she convinces him that he needs to play fair and bring her so they arrive pretty quickly at Hardesty's hotel they're trying to surprise him and no luck he had left 20 minutes before they arrived but they get to search his room and Violet sees a box she knows has a false bottom. Yes, she sees Lion's rosewood box. This is something that she resented because of all the things Lion could have taken with him when he left. He took the rosewood box. She knows what he used to keep inside the rosewood box, but she also knows the box by heart. Asher sees it as well and he tries to pick the lock and it doesn't work so he's like I'll save it for later and Violet is just on the edge of her seat she's like oh god keep it together Violet yeah and he eventually gets it open but of course he doesn't get the false bottom open so she is waiting on pins and needles for a moment at some point when she can look in the false bottom but it's the end of the day and even though the day was stressful and tension filled they are prepping for bed and they cannot resist each other so they have encounter number four Mm-hmm. and it's good y'all <laughs> it's very very steamy and afterwards he asks if she would tell him if quote ought were amiss like her health and violet realizes what he's talking about she realizes, you know, like, if I get pregnant, will I tell him? And she she says she will, but she's not sure she would. So after Asher falls asleep, she sneaks out of bed and she opens the false bottom. In the false bottom, she finds Captain Morehart's journal and a miniature of Olivia Eversey. Irrefutable proof that she was right. Yeah, like she needed more proof. But now it's like, like a bajillion, bajillion percent. It's lion. Plus, there's also a note from Lion who isn't surprised that it was Violet who found him and says that once she reads Morehart's journal, she will understand why he is doing this and why he can't go home yet. Yes. So we learn three facts from this. We learn that the Drajuk group are slavers. 
100 percent we learned that Morehart captained multiple ships and voyages and he was an investor in the group that's now yes confirmed and the third thing that she learns from the journal is that the last page of the journal features a name of an investor which makes her gasp yes and so violet comes to a conclusion about what she needs to do so she writes two notes one says forgive me and she places that on the writing desk and then the other one is for lion to warn him and then she scampers off yep and flint awakens and sees that the box has been pilfered and realizing and realizes that violet is gone and it really is a hard hit to him He realizes that his life is a farce without real love, his love for Violet. Um, In fact, Violet was the only person with whom he'd ever truly belonged. Yes, but he wants to follow through with his plan. They had this elaborate plan to catch Hardesty. They had learned the layout of where they were. They found his favorite pub. And so they go stake it out. And he finds Lion, surprisingly, in his usual haunt. And Lion, however, is waiting for Flint. He's not surprised that he's there. (laughs) And Flint even says, I thought Violet would try to warn you. Try. You ought to know her better by now. She succeeded. Then why are you here? The postscript she wrote on her message. Yeah, so we learn that Lion has put Violet back on a ship to England. And once Flint hears that, he begins to rise because he knows where she is. Yes. He knows where she is. He's ready to go. And then Lion is like, so do you love my sister? Yeah, and it's there's a really great passage from Lion here, and it's he talks about why he loves his sister and why he tolerates her and why he coddles her and why he thinks she's amazing, but why should Flint love Violet? And Flint makes a great speech. I'll be honest, it's not as good as Lion's. <laughs> no, Lion's is so great. It's, Everything Lion says is just great. Lion's, we get great Lion characterization in this book. Um, but Lion points out the irony, of course, where if Lion hadn't done all this, then Flint would never have met Violet. And there you go. he gives a you know, very cheeky, you're welcome to Flint, where I laughed out loud. <laughs> I did too. Yeah. And I even think possibly, and we'll get to this later, but I think possibly we get a better Lion here than in his book. I do. I think we get a little bit more character development as far as like, learning why he did things we get a little bit more of it right here especially with the interaction with flint than you do later on in his book but that is for another day yep so flint as he's having this conversation with lion first of all lion has a lot of violet's features and he just can't he realizes that justice no longer matters and violet is what matters yes and so he leaves lion he says go I've got better things to do than, like, take you in. He actually says also, your secret is safe with me. Yes. And so Violet has returned home, and it's like nothing was amiss. Her note saying she'd gone to a house party worked. And so no one knew she was out at sea for all this time. And it's been three weeks since she first left. Yep. And her brother Jonathan pokes his head in the room and says, "Uh, you've got a guest. And that guest is Captain Asher Flint. Yes, and uh, he's come for her. He has. Yay. And he confesses that she was right. Everything she did was for love, and now he wants to show her what he did for someone he loves. So he tells her about his chat with Lisha. <laughs> 
and Violet reveals that the investor she read in Moorhart's journal was Jacob Eversee. Which actually was a surprise to me. I really was sure it was going to be Redmond, Isaiah Redmond, not Eversee. But so Lyon now has to prove who's guilty and innocent in this whole investment scheme. Because Jacob Eversee's name on that is very shocking and very surprising. So Lyon had left a note with her saying that his job is to see who is guilty and who is innocent. And he can't come home until he's done that. Yeah, and so there's a really wonderful moment, again, at the end of the book where uh, Flint is talking to Violet, and he says, but Violet, when I saw Lion, I knew I was sunk. I live only to make you happy, Violet. You're necessary to me. I belong with you. And please, for the love of God, may I touch you now. Oh, I love that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's just, I can feel that, that tension even between the two of them in that scene. And so they decide to marry. There's no like proposal or anything. It's just like, we should marry and it's great. And she does have a large dowry. So that's nice. It's fine. You know, he's going to be Yes, because he did not get the reward for catching Lishat. Like he gave that up. So he's like, I'm poor, just FYI. Like... (laughs) <laughs> yep, and uh, he had expressed some different dreams in the beginning, but he decides that his home is with her, which is very similar to what Miles said to Cynthia. Uh, Miles didn't quite say, you are my home. He says, you are my dream to Cynthia. But here, Flint says, you are my home. So I don't know, we're getting a bit of a theme here. but <laughs> Yes, but I will say that's very, it's very sweet and it's very Asher because as he said, you know, as we learned at the beginning, he feels like he belongs everywhere and nowhere. And so for him to feel like she is his home like that's what he's been missing in his life is a home as a person and so that's who she is for him and while we don't get an epilogue again we do get a little bit more because violet surprises him with the news that they will soon be a family oh so sweet and that's what happens when you have unprotected sex (laughs) uh yeah so with that i'm still my heart is still fluttering from the excitement of yes so and i am too i just love the last encounter with lion and like when they go home and everything but zoe shall we adjourn to the parlor and catch our breath let's Right, listeners, this week in the parlor, we have our very first book recommendation. This is from our listener, Kelsey. Kelsey, thank you for sharing with us. And she is recommending Texas Destiny by Lorraine Heath. Now, Kelsey, this Kelsey has read this book and... Oh, gosh, it's such a good recommendation. So it's not a Regency book. It takes place... In the same period, it's it's post-Civil War America, but it's um, in, like, very rural Texas, like No Man's Land, Texas, and it's got some fun characters, and it's cowboys, and um, there's just a lot of good tension. Lorraine Heath, if you've read any of her books, they're all really good, and um, I was given this book, I think, last Christmas by a friend, and I full-on loved it, read the next two And it's a trilogy, so it's not like it's a long series. But thank you, Kelsey, very much for the recommendation. So that's Texas Destiny by Lorraine Heath. Awesome. Sounds exciting. I have never not once read a cowboy book. 
but maybe it is time to start. But if you have a book recommendation, or perhaps you've been listening to me and Kelsey wax rhapsodic about something that you hate, or you're screaming at us through your headphones, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Romancepod at gmail.com is our email address. You can also find us on social media. On Instagram, we are at T as in Tom, N as in Nancy, Strumpets. And you can find us on YouTube and Facebook by name. Currently, there's nothing on the YouTube, but you know, just wait. Yeah, I think by the time that we launch this, we'll put these also up on YouTube. That is what uh, people tell you to do for the SEO. Uh, So (laughs) I do know a thing or two about that. But yeah, we're going to be doing that. And then finally, we also, of course, have our website. And our website is romancepod.com. And there you can find episodes, more information about us, and other resources. So we encourage you to take a look. Yes. And finally, please rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah, we'd love to hear what you think. And also, you know, we're still a new podcast. So your ratings really help us get found. Yes. All right, Zoe, shall we break into our discussion? I'm ready. So when we were preparing for this book, it was really hard for me because I love this book so much. And while I was looking it up, because I, I wanted to make sure I had the name right or something, this was like before we even you know got to episode four, I was on Goodreads and I saw a review from someone. So this user's name is Jilly. So sorry, Jilly, to call you out here. But there are some talking points that I just couldn't get out of my head. So Jilly has a really funny review where she says, she knocked off a star because Violet, our quote unquote heroine, is a spoiled child for most of the book. She has spent her life coddled and adored by all and is always doing stupid shit for attention. So I had to make peace with the fact that she was going to end up with Captain McDreamy off the SS sexy pants. (laughs) Sigh. Sometimes life isn't fair. And I was angry and I was laughing at the same time because to me, that isn't Violet. I do agree that Violet is spoiled and Violet did do things for attention. You know, she's known for having almost thrown herself into a well. And while the SS Sexy Pants and Captain McSteamy are totally, totally the perfect names for those, for the (laughs) ship and for the captain, I just think she missed the mark on Violet. I would agree with that. I think that Violet is a product of her life. And I think that she even knows it. I would say that Violet doesn't act spoiled. She comes off as spoiled, yes, but it's as she states so many times, she's been a pet to be patted on the head and then put away. And she's really trying to overcome that, but it's very hard to overcome something that you've lived with your whole life. You know, she gets bored and so she does things and there haven't been consequences, but she does understand you know, by the end of the book that there are real consequences. And she is trying not to be spoiled. It's just kind of what comes off. Yeah. And Asher is the first person who also gives her something to do, takes her seriously and respects her. Yes. The other people in her life tolerate her, but Asher respects her. And there's so much development of Violet in this book. I mean, I honestly, I had like I think 50 different quotes that I pulled out that just really resonated with me. And I'm going to share some of them here. But really through the book, we see Violet's development. She 
understands her character. She understands she is impulsive, but she also really grows and learns as a person. In fact, there's a part in the beginning where she and LaVey chat and she finds out that Flint is sensitive to being called a savage because he has some American Indian blood. And that comes back around when the uh, Comtesse is at dinner and ridiculing him and calling him savage there. And that's really what gets Violet going and gets her with the pot calling the kettle thing. But at that moment, the author writes, she knew a quiet shame that had naught of mischief to it. In other words, not the sort of shame when she felt she'd disappointed her brother Miles by attempting to run off with the gypsies. This was a new sensation. It was perilously close to humbling. And there are so many quotes like that in the book where Violet is growing, where Violet is realizing consequence and action and she's learning from it. And you just, you see that through the whole book. So... Absolutely. And I think that also to her idea of Flint being like the ultimate hero, I think is a little far off. I think he's a great hero, but because just like Violet, we see growth within him. We see him come from someone who, you know, he takes care of other people and Violet notices that with him. She's like, oh, he takes care of people how he was never taken care of himself. And he has that in him, but he's testy and he's like used to getting his way because he's the captain and he's in charge and he's a hard person and he's a strategic person and Violet's someone who can challenge him in a way without belittling him. Absolutely and also she realizes and he realizes over the course of time that his dream that he saw for himself of success isn't really success but that love is really what he wanted in his life. So, and that was what made it successful. And that was what he had been searching for this whole time, all of his voyages, metaphorically and physically. So, but yes, uh, any other thoughts you want to share with us? Definitely. So I really relate to Violet. Obviously, I love this book, but there was so much, and I was trying to pick it apart as to why. And I think that I just feel like Violet is me uh, in a lot of ways. Just the fact that she was bored and she was stuck and she was coddled. Not that those were things for me, but I relate to so many of those feelings as a child. I was always a child with very high energy. I was always unable to sit still. And while I didn't experience serious, you know, sexism or kind of being Uh, being pushed down in my life, I was always told to sit still or to wait or to stop asking so many questions or, 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 and it was very frustrating. And as I've gotten older, I just have kind of come to learn more about myself. And really, I've learned that you know, and to say this sounds very um, smug. um, So I don't know how to make this come off without feeling without sounding smug. But I think faster than a lot of people. I come to conclusions faster and my brain just, it just does that. And so I don't have patience and that's always been my hardest, my hardest thing. I do too many things. I'm constantly busy. (laughs) Kelsey was laughing because she knows this about me. Um, (laughs) I know this about you so so I know. And so... (laughs) I just, like, I can see myself in that chess scene. No, I'm not a good player, but I can put myself in so many other places of my life where, like, I just, I knew, I knew that this was going to happen or that was going to happen or I was going to make something happen. And that, I just, I relate to Violet so much. And also, 
there is another part of Violet I relate to, and there's a quote about loss. And it goes, and maybe her fury and despair had to do with something she seemed to understand so much better than he did, how terrifying a thing it is to love. For it owes in sweetness in large part to the razor-edged fact that it could be lost in the blink of an eye if, for instance, a loaded pistol isn't in the hand when one is needed. And this is what the love had done for her, revealed to her. She was someone who could kill. She was capable of enormous love. She'd lost once before, and she'd kill before she'd let it happen again. And I just, I have lost someone. I have lost the most important person in my life before. And I just, I understand, and I relate with her. And I know that Violet didn't lose as much as I did, uh, but... In that moment, I just feel it it connected with me, and I understand her impulses. That is just so nice. <laughs> yeah. You got so much out of this. I love it. My thoughts sound so, <laughs> like, simple in comparison. Well, but I mean, I think that's also such an amazing thing, right? Like, all of these heroines, we connect with them, or heroes. It doesn't necessarily mean that we connect with the hero, or we connect with the heroine just because we're female. A great character can connect with us. Uh, no matter what. Yes, absolutely. And I think for me, though, I had a bit of a contention because as you said, like, she's so smart. And like, and like, as you said, like, you can relate to putting things together faster than other people and like, always doing a lot of things all at once. I 100% can relate to that. And I understand like the idea of like, ticking behind your brain, there's a lot more than people think there is. But for me, there were just these little points that I got so annoyed with Violet at but it was the sense that she is so smart and yet sometimes she just she doesn't not read the room she refuses to read the room because in a ball scene where she's playing coy or she's like giving her snide remarks like she's read the room like she knows they're reckless but she also knows she can make that comment versus there were sometimes it felt like the battle between her and Flint was just simply that it was a battle but it was because she was refusing to like really read what he was saying. Like fair, she was just being contrary because she's like, I don't want to do that. Like, don't let me do, like, tell me why. And he's like, I don't have time to tell you why. You need to just figure it out. See, but I, see, that's some of why I love Violet because I think there's a perfect example, right? When they're in the carriage at one point and he is, is, you know, they're having an argument and she like lashes out and calls him a savage again late in the book. And it's so childish and it's so like she knows at that point and and she does it on purpose specifically to hurt him. And it is, it's this like regression of the character. But to me, it makes sense. They have been on a journey for two weeks, right? At most at yes. this point in the book. And so she's latching on to what she knows and she's reverting and I relate to that so much. I can't tell you how many times I got in trouble for saying too much or for, you know, for accidentally spilling something or saying something a certain way that I shouldn't have said because I just, I couldn't help myself. Oh, I'm the worst about that. I'm the worst. Sometimes I fully just like talk before I think or like I get mad and like, you know, something just comes out. I totally get that. But I think that that is such a true thing. And it's something I actually loved about it because even though we saw these regressions of it, like she knew it was a regression for herself. But Flint had the same ones. Mm -hmm. Like even he was like, I said it to make her mad. I said it to hurt her. And she's like, I said it to hurt him. And it's they know that the other one's doing it, you know? It's a game. They're playing games through the whole thing. But a lot of them are 
delightful. They are. But in general, there were so many great things about this book too. I think this book is got some really sex positive things. I mean, a lot, most of these books that we're going to be reading are fairly sex positive, uh, hopefully very sex positive, but there was a much better oral sex scene in this book. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all about bringing her pleasure. They had this, the first time they have sex, it's like, we can't, we can't not, we have to, it's hot, it's fast. And then he's like, but now let me make it even more fun for you. And so yes. I really liked that that was the direction that they went with that. Mm-hmm. And also there's this point near the end uh, before their fourth encounter when um, I just, it's a really lovely thing where she's like wondering uh, what she is. She's like, you know, it's the end of the day and she's getting into bed and she's she's like, is this the natural conclusion to brushing one's hair or cleaning one's teeth if she'd somehow entered the territory of, quote, kept or fallen, and whether there's a protocol she ought to be aware of? And it's just so, <laughs> it's so, like, sweet and, and honest. I just think there's so many great development moments of these characters throughout the book. There are, and I think both of them have such good development. I mean, even the relationship develops, you know, it develops from that of enemies, you know, they're on rival pursuits, and then they become respected rivals because they've been playing this game and they've been putting themselves against each other, but they have a begrudging respect for each other. And then eventually they become lovers and they have real true feelings and emotions for each other. And even if they don't know what to call them, they know they're there. And they acknowledge them and they talk about them. And for me, God, just honesty is like so great. Like, I can't tell you how much I just enjoy honesty in a book. Like, yeah, it's so much nicer to read. And yeah, I mean, that's a theme, I think, for Julianne Long, which we both like. And we have kind of railed on her plots that they've been too convoluted or crazy. And I'll be honest, like, I think maybe this time we talked the longest about the plot so far, but... This plot, while it was an adventure, is just like so well put together. It really is. All the, yeah, all the time and place stuff doesn't matter. Like they have sex when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the whole, um, the storm scene. Like it is stormy and there's tension going on. But like we as the reader know the storm is abating. And so like the danger is gone. And so it's like, oh, okay, I can, I can get into this now. <laughs> Yes. And there's also just good humor throughout it. You know, they caught the joke of the vole hole versus the distinguished guest cabin and just like Hercules and all of it. And the the crew members who we didn't talk about, like they just have such like the humor in it is great. You know, there's just a lightness to it. And it's all really good. But as all good romance novel, there are a lot of tropes that we need to talk about. Yes. Some of which are just very common. And you just probably know them off the top of your head at this point. <laughs> yep. So, like, it's an adventure. Da 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 da. <laughs> um, they have like contra goals bringing them together. Yeah, like forbidden love. One of them is gonna get hurt because they, yeah, because of those contra goals. Yeah. Um. There's a difference in stations. Even though he's an earl and she's like not a lady. He was born a bastard. He grew up all over the place. He doesn't feel like an earl. And she was very much a well-born lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would call him an alpha hero, although yeah. he is not toxic. Thank goodness. No, he toes that line so very well. I think that's why I liked him is because mm-hmm. every time he was about to get too alpha, he like backed off. And I was like, okay, cool. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I would say swashbucklers, pirates, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. a trope. 
They got really into the whole like nautical theme here. Yeah. Um, the very last line he says, like, I, I he has a boat word in there. I can't remember what it is, but it's like moored or sunk. I would be sunk without you or something. Or yeah. I knew it was sunk is what he said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I also wrote, for the first thing I actually wrote in the tropes was boat drinks. Boat drinks. Boys in the band ordered boat drinks. Anyhow. <laughs> um, for the Jimmy Buffett fans out there. So, Kelsey, let's talk about our ratings. We've got a lot of those to get through. So, what would you give our hero in this book? Um, I would give our hero like a pretty solid eight. That's a strong, strong vote there. No, it is. I like that he had real development and he was also a good person. I like that he wasn't a total just like rake, you know, he was an alpha hero, but he wasn't just like, oh, he's a rake. Mm -hmm. And I like the way he would back off when things got bad. I think for me, the eight is more because I think I wanted just a bit... There was, there was just a little bit more I wanted from him. He wasn't a perfect hero for me. You know, I thought he was a very good hero. I thought he was, you know, representative of a captain. I thought he was a strong person. He really matched Violet's strong personality. He never really backed down from Violet. Like, they would just meet in the middle, which I loved. But there was just a little something missing, and I'm not quite sure what it was. Ah, well, there wasn't anything missing for me. He is a 10. He's a 10 for me. I love I love how much development we get from about him. I love how he is empowering to Violet, but he also challenges her and then he also makes mistakes and then he's also frustrated and I also love that at the end when he, you know, comes for her and says he loves her, it's not like this yes, he has a realization, right? He has a realization that yes, he loves Violet, but it it was coming. It didn't hit him like a ton of bricks. It was just kind of like, yep, okay, shrug my shoulders. I can't deny this any longer. It, it made sense to me. And I mm-hmm. I love so many things about him and so many of the quotes that he says and does. And, ugh, he's, he is perfect for me. Yeah, excellent. Um, and let me guess, uh, what is Violet rate for you? Yeah, Violet's a 10 for me too <laughs> because I just, I take... I, I I am so Violet in so many ways. I'm also not Violet in so many ways, but I really do see so many things through eyes like hers and I just empathize and I my heart races when I think about the passages between the two of them and I've never forgotten them after hundreds of books later, they're top in my book. Um, that's okay. I would vote Violet a ten. Like Really? Yeah. Ah. I would. I think maybe not 10, maybe a nine only because I, yeah, I would say maybe not 10, nine. I'm going to stick with nine. Um, Fair. She has a lot of great qualities. I love, you know, she's fierce. She knows she's smart. She's not going to play, pretend that she's dumb. I think that all the things that like made you kind of either dislike her or anything like that were just a product of her growing up. And I thought that was very true to who she was. And I thought that she was really working to overcome that. However, there was just more, I feel like there was more of a self-assurance that could have been there in times that would have made her 100% a 10 for me. Fair enough. Um, so do you have a favorite quote of the book? I have like two that are good. And oh, good, because I have like 30. So I think we're going to be here. No, I'm just kidding. I've got one. Oh, no, I highlighted like 47 passages oh, in sure. this book, but I'm like I'm picking two. So here's one, and this is from Lint. This is in his head. 
A warrior's heart beat in her, but she was young, and everything that had happened to her in a short amount of time would have been too much for most stalwart men, let alone a woman. Wow. And I just love it because great pull. for me, like, he sees her as a hero. Like, she's becoming a hero for him. And so I just, I love that line. I love that. Because she does have a warrior's heart. Like, she's a strong person. And she's not afraid to be a strong person. She just hasn't been allowed to be a strong person. Wow. And then another one, not that far past that, was Violet was thinking this. And she could think like a man. She could act like a man. But she was a woman after all. And women wept. Yeah. And I like that too because she's not just like, I want to be, you know, someone I'm not. She's like, I am embracing who I am. Yes. And uh, yeah, women cry. And I... As someone who cries, like, at stupid things, like, oh yeah, I totally do that. And it's just, like, it's a total thing. It's like, uh, why are you crying? It's like, I don't know. Like, if you had these many hormones coursing through you, you might cry as well. Yeah, and actually, at the first time um, when she loses her virginity, she does cry at the end of the whole experience. And mm-hmm. her actual quote, Violet says, She's crying a little bit and she says, I'm not upset. It's just emotion. And I think that there are many women who can relate with that, (laughs) that there is just this, you know, there's so much coming from you. And I think it's also such a characterization of Violet, right? She has so much coming out of Mm -hmm. her and it's, it's, it just makes sense to me. So I have a, I have a little funny one and then I have one that's similar to yours though. Um, so in the beginning of the book, when they first meet each other, Flint, right? She's just called him a savage. He knows that. And he, he has this great line where he says, I doubt I have to try to appall you, Miss Redmond. I suspect I need simply be. <laughs> so I, I enjoy that as kind of the beginning of their relationship. But uh, similar to the quotes you read about Violet, uh, there's another one here, which is, Behind that smooth, pale forehead, her mind clicked along with an easy and unexpected precision, a knack for strategy that might have been channeled into some masculine pursuit, perhaps some battlefield maneuvers or torturing prisoners, and might have served a useful purpose, might not have tormented her the way he was certain it did, given her demonstrable predilection for rashness. So... Anyhow, I highlighted that one too, and I almost read that as my quote, but I saw it in my notes. Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks for letting me have that one. So I think we can understand why. I just, I, I mean, I hope you all can understand why we love Violet so much and why you should read this book because even though we have uh, chatted about it for so long, there is so much in all of the words in all of those pages. So, encounter, counter. Woohoo! We sort of mentioned it before. Uh, I said it's a four plus. You said it's a three plus. Uh, there's you definitely. Well, I said it was three plus when we got there, and then there was a four oh, okay. at the end. Ah! So, like, four got plus. It. Four plus. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a one sentence encounter that's real quick. So, I wrote for the steaminess rating here. Uh, I wrote Inferno, the fires of Mount Doom, hot enough to melt the one ring, Dracarys hot. The tension. (laughs) Which is Kelsey's favorite thing. Yeah, it was very steamy, guys. And my heart is pounding throughout this whole book. And it's not just the tension between them. You've got the five, four, three, two, you know, well, I'm sorry, we don't get to three, we get to two. And oh gosh, it's just, it is, I've read this book many times before and my heart is racing. It's a really good one. And like, all the tension and everything. And then when they finally do kiss, like you just can't put it down. Like oh, if you no. look at our Insta, oh, 
it wasn't it was on our story if you followed our instagram and saw our stories so we, we were gushing about the book while we were reading it before we even recorded this podcast. oh yeah and don't <laughs> worry i think i still have that screenshot so i'll probably put it back up <laughs> when we uh release this episode but feminist recap uh i would say a lot of the quotes we've already read show that this book is quite the supporter it's a full-on supporter because not only is she a hero and saves the day actually, but he sees her as a hero. He 100% respects her for her mind and not just her good looks. He is, heck, he's more annoyed with her at first until he discovers her mind and is really drawn to the fact that she is such a smart person. He understands her rash behavior has come from simply just being the smartest person in the room most of the time. Yeah, he's such a great empowerer without being a belittler and there's this one I put this little quote where he's thinking to himself and he said he's thinking then as an earl and a man I seldom need do what I don't wish to do and so he's having this realization that like oh well things are different for her than they are for me absolutely but even as we mentioned in the whole like sending her down to the kitchens like he's there because she's just bored and she's not used to feeling needed and he's giving her a job he's making her feel needed because he sees that that's what she needs yes so finally kelsey what would you rate this book i would rate this book like a nine I love this book. <laughs> and I loved it in rereading. And like, I wasn't sure. And I was like, nope, still love it. It's great. Yes. Um, I would rate this book a 10, surprisingly. Surprise, surprise. I could read this book again right now. I, I could start it right now. And I would get just as much joy from it. I take so much away from this book, uh, not just the story, but the characters and the connections. And it is fun. The fight scenes are well-written. Everything's fun. So uh, two thumbs up would recommend. Absolutely. And I would totally recommend this as well. I would recommend it to someone, you know, unless they're a stickler for starting at the beginning of a series, if they just want a good book to read, I would highly recommend this book. Like, you could take it out of context, like, because pretty much Julianne Long does a good job of, like, covering her basis when it comes to context. So, like, you'll miss a few things, but you could easily read this out of the series and still thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, I will say there were actually, like, a couple of those, you know, we don't get an epilogue, but we got some information about some of the other characters in this book. Uh, just very light. Uh, so... Yes, you have some knowledge about the world around you uh, if you start this book, but definitely a um, great book. And I, I wasn't sure how I would, how much I would love it because it had been a long time since I'd reread. And man, this is definitely going to probably go in my top five favorites and stay there. It's a great book. Yep. And speaking of great books, Zoe, we are going to talk about what we're reading next week, which is very exciting for me. Kelsey, why would that be? So we started the Penny Royal Green series because this was the series that I got Zoe hooked on romance with. And so next week, we're going to step away from Penny Royal Green and we're going to read a completely separate book by a completely different author. And this is the first book that really got me into romance. And that is Sleepless at Midnight by Jackie D'Alessandro. Ooh, you read me the um, little plot blurb. And may I say, she didn't even get through half of it. This is a book (laughs) I've never read before, so that'll be exciting. But uh, she got through half of it, and I was like, sold, sold, sold. Let's go, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Yes, and I haven't read it in a very long time. So I'm very interested to see if it holds up. So with that, 
One last plea, give us a rating, a review, subscribe so that other people can find us. And thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you so much for listening and join us next time as we read Sleepless at Midnight by Jackie D'Asandro. Bye. Bye. Yes, absolutely. Um, that being said, let's talk about our book for weekend start. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and the next day, they argue about her being on the ship again. And they argue about Leon. And... Leon. Sorry. Lion. I know. I was In my head, I call him Leon. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the next day, the next day they argue about her being on the ship again. And then all of a sudden she starts to put it together and she realizes it's a coded message from Leon. And so she decodes it. You said, you said Leon again. God damn it. (laughs) Okay. A coded message. Jacob, Jacob ever, ever see. see. So Let's do that again in a sad way, in a like dun 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 okay, way. Okay, okay, Jake. Okay, one. Oh, sorry. Together or just one of us? No, together. Let's do it. Just say the intro line. Violet reveals, and Violet reveals that the investor she read in Moorhart's journal was Jacob, Jacob ever, ever see. see. My heart is still fluttering from the excitement. I know. I'm just like, I love the end. And I just love where he meets with Leon. But let's catch our breath, Zoe. And shall we get again. to the parlor? <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay. So, sorry. Say that all again, though, because it was great. Okay. Given her dem- demonstrable, the way he was certain it did, given her demonstrable predilection for rashness. Given her demonstrable, how do I say that? Oh my god, demonstrable predilection, predilection, predilection. Oh my god, we did it! We did it! We got it done.